Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. When you get a little bit away from the coast, like Lakeland, there's a long tradition of barbecue. This is not something that they just found. Uh, They've been cooking barbecue in, in the middle of Florida forever. I'm Robin Sussingham, and this is The Zest, citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Don't forget, it's absolutely free, and it's also very easy to subscribe to The Zest, and that way... Each episode will download automatically to your phone or your other mobile device. Go to thezestpodcast.com and click on How to Listen to a Podcast. August is nearly over, but there's still time to plan one last end of the summer blowout bash. Today we get grilling guidance from Ray Lampy, also known as Dr. Barbecue. And what's for dessert? Our contributor Janet Keeler offers ideas from the cookbook Genius Desserts. We're talking meats and sweets today on The Zest. When I saw the flames tattooed on Dr. Barbecue's arm, I knew he meant business. The pitmaster and TV personality, whose real name is Ray Lampy, is all in when it comes to his craft. I recently visited Dr. Barbecue's St. Petersburg restaurant of the same name, where he shares his story and offers tips for barbecuing at home. While I was there, I tackled the feeding frenzy, a shareable platter of the restaurant's specialty meats, because sometimes you've got to take one for the team. Hi, I'm Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. When you walk in our front door, the first thing you're going to see is what we call the block. It's this thick John Boost block. This is where all the business happens. Now, we wanted to kind of look like one of them barbecue restaurants where everybody lines up, talks to the pitmaster, gets their food, and goes on the way. But we also wanted you to be able to sit down, have a server, have a nice civilized situation with a cocktail. So we did this kind of just for show. But this is where all the stuff happens anyway. So you get to look at it, but you don't have to actually take your food from Angel. A nice server will bring it to you. Okay, and it's Angel Campos? Yes, ma'am. So, Angel's going to cut a few things here. He's going to make us what we call the feeding frenzy. The feeding frenzy is a half pound each of four different meats. In this case, we got a whole bunch of different meats. I'll tell you about the others lately, but I've chosen these for you in particular. The one he's carving right there is our brisket. Yeah. This is real barbecue. Um, we have a lot of Texas kind of influences around here. We're not a Texas barbecue restaurant, but there's a whole lot of Texas influence. We use certified Angus beef. Certified Angus beef is not just Angus. It's a very strict program of what it is, and it's better than most of the beef we can buy. Uh, we tried a lot of different things. Look how juicy that is. We tried a lot of different things around here, and the certified Angus beef was perfect for us. 
and it goes in this big smoker behind us, a JNR oiler with oak wood only, and it cooks till it's like that. Can you tell me about that amazing looking crust? <laughs> yeah, it's salt and pepper is all we season them with and oak wood, but the reason that develops, it's just a long, slow process. We call that the bark, but that's what happens in the smoker when you cook something for 14 hours or so. Uh, it develops like a roux. When we talk about, you know how you make a roux, you don't just brown some butter and, and, and flour. It takes a long time. We joke about taking two beers. Well, this takes 14 hours. There's no how way to get it. Yeah, it's a lot of beers. <laughs> There's no way to get it to look like that without that long, slow process. If you, if you rush it, you, it'll still be good. It could be a nice piece of barbecue, but it would never look like that. It makes your mouth water to look at it. I wanted to know about the fat layer on the brisket. Like, How much fat do you think is necessary to leave? Well, it, you know, in your dream world, a quarter inch of fat, a quarter to a half inch of fat on the top would be what we would leave. Uh, it's hard to get that exact without hitting some bald spots. So I would say we're probably between a quarter and, and an inch, but that's fine. You know, it'll cook, and we like to have some fat on there. We don't want too much, and we don't want to have to trim it off on the block because then all that beautiful crust and the seasoning would come off with it. So it's really critical that they, they trim it right before. Now, the other thing is there's pockets on the side. There's actually two muscles to that brisket. The one on top is we call the point. You see that? And then the below is the flat. You can see there was a lot of fat in between the two, and we've notched that out because that won't get cooked and rendered out. The real answer is we want just enough fat that will render out during the cooking process. So that's what helps with the juiciness? Well, it does and it doesn't. Or the flavor. The, the concept that all that fat goes into the meat, that's not true. The reason meat gets dry is because you overcook it. So it, it does, it's certainly nice to have all that fat in the neighborhood dripping all over it, but it doesn't go down through the meat like some, some uh, nice storytellers would have us believe. So is it, does it help flavor? What gives it its flavor? It, well, it's real simple. It's a combination of things that's real simple. It's good quality beef. It's the fat for sure. We wouldn't want to take a bunch of fat off. I mean, that fat to me is what's making it taste so good. Salt and pepper and oak. Those are the four components. And if you get the combination of those right, that's exactly what you want. Is this your most popular meat? This I is think it is. Bris brisket or pulled pork. They're both really you know, it depends who you are. Depends what part of the country you came from, which you like better. But brisket and pork shoulder are the two for sure. Tell me about that. Why, why what part of the country? Do Southerners like pulled pork? Well, here's how the origins of barbecue. You know why they cooked a bunch of hogs over hickory wood in North Carolina? No. Because they had a bunch of hogs in hickory wood. <laughs> you know why they cooked a bunch of briskets over oak in Texas? They, Come on. Uh, beef. They had a bunch of briskets, briskets and, and shoulder too, uh -huh. were, pork shoulder were the, you know, expendable cuts. Nobody was that worried about those. They were lower budget. And so it was available to the barbecue guy, but beef was what was there. The brisket was available and a bunch of oak and mesquite work. So it's, it's that basic at its core. Now we're lucky enough we have access to all these different things. But in general, people from Texas don't consider pork barbecue and people in Carolina don't consider beef barbecue. Ah, and so here we are in Florida in the middle, and I guess you're loving it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, well, we all have access to that now. You know, uh, you have your tendencies, much like your favorite football team it is how I think it is at this point. If you grew up eating a bunch of pork, that's what you think it should be. But yeah, we're lucky enough to have, I mean, we've got so many different kinds of meat here. We have, how many do we have total? Angel, tell me the number. You might have to figure that out, because there's a bunch of different stuff around here. You're at least looking at 14 meats that we're doing. 
uh, from our beef ribs to our beef, uh, pork brisket uh, that we also have. We have our jalapeno and our beef sausage. We've got our turkey, which is wildly good that you'll see here soon. Pork brisket is something nobody else has. They tell us we're the number one seller of pork brisket in the country. Pork belly as well. We always have pork belly on the block. These are all the meats we have on the block. Okay, so what else have we got? Well, next let's go to the turkey. Turkey is something, I can tell you myself, it's my personal favorite barbecue meat. Probably because I get tired of eating brisket and pork and ribs and that, but, but I love turkey. So we buy these good quality turkey breasts, boneless, see that's like a whole boneless lobe of turkey, and we brine it, brine it for at least 24 hours. We have brine with a whole bunch of different stuff in there, some hot sauce, some chilies, and, and a bunch of stuff, and it soaks overnight. 24 hours and then we cook it now you got to cook it to the perfect doneness this is a key to the quality of all of our meats we cook stuff to the perfect degree of doneness every day and it's so important if you undercook it a little bit it'll screw it up if you overcook it a little you'll screw it up we cook it to the perfect doneness look at that turkey i, I mean that's I, don't you wish your grandma you, always cooked yours that perfectly i was thinking that i mean my turkey oh he's gonna let me taste this my turkey not does Here, not ever you. look i might have to talk about robin's eating mm. now mm. She couldn't it, resist having a sample of turkey with Angel because it looks it so up. juicy and it tastes so tender and juicy. It is. I mean, it's it's just, we we like turkey, but it's easy to screw turkey up. It's easy to dry it out. How's that? Oh, okay. This is so good. A little bit of smoke flavor. So what we do, we brine it. It like my turkey every We taste. brine it, and then when it's time to go in the oven, it, go, it goes in the our other cooker that we run a little bit hotter. It's about 300 degrees, but also has oak wood in there. Uh, we put a little salt and pepper on it, and we put gochujang on top. Okay, Just to give it that? a little bit of a glaze. It's a Korean bean, spicy bean paste kind of thing. Very trendy right now. So we had some around. We were trying different things. And it just gives a little bit of heat. Because the salty and the sweet of the brine, that little bit of spicy on top really helps it out. I think, I think we're serving the best turkey in town. Angel agrees, right? Oh, absolutely. This is I've I've always been hesitant on turkey. It's not being my top, you know, biggest top meat that I like. After being here... It is absolutely one of my top two meats that I love here. It, it, our turkey is just moist, succulent every single time. It's just, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. This doesn't taste like turkey like you're used to. No, you don't need to soak mouth, it in buttery. gravy. Yeah, no, right? absolutely. Well, that, that's a compliment. We don't want our food to taste like everybody else's. Now, barbecue has its, its traditions. We've got to, you know, there's a way to do things properly. But we want ours to be a little bit special. We went around to a lot of barbecue restaurants around the country that were doing things in a different, modern kind of way. And that's what we like. They've still got the roots of real barbecue, but we wanted to have a little spin on it. The gochujang is not something you're going to find in Mississippi at an old school barbecue restaurant. What is pastrami? What is it? Well, it's a beef brisket. The same briskets that we use for our regular brisket, except we cure it. We, we use a curing salt. We make this brine. This is actually a recipe out of one of my, it's also out of one of my old cookbooks. And we we create this uh, pastrami and you got to inject it and then you put the cure on the outside also and you let it sit for four days. And then you put coriander and black pepper on the outside of it and then you smoke it to that degree of doneness, much like a brisket. So it's really a beef brisket that's been cured. Sort of like, the simple way to do it would be buy a corned beef, put some coriander and black pepper on it, and smoke it. So it's been sort of pickled then, pickled Definitely. beef? It's exactly what it has been, yeah. I keep saying cured. It's all the same thing, no? It's a, it's, you know, I mean, in the, in the day they did it for preservation, uh, but we started to like it that way, so now we cook it and prepare it that way and eat it. And, and we're not done yet. We have, what is, these are ribs. Well, ribs, yes. It's a barbecue restaurant. I don't, you know, it's funny. I, I've done a lot of homework on this over the years. Um, there are 
places where they like pork, where they like brisket, where they like lamb, they like different things. Pork ribs seem to supersede all of that. Whatever region you go to and you find any barbecue restaurant, you'll almost always find pork ribs. So these are what we call St. Louis cut ribs. Now we buy, this is something called Compart Duroc pork. This is a family farm in Minnesota. I know the Compart family and it's just special. It's a Duroc hog, but much like the certified Angus beef, all Angus isn't the same, all Duroc hogs are not the same. Wait, what do you taste those? It's just, those are just different. <clears throat> There's a piece of the pastrami if you want to try a piece of the pastrami. We're going to take that up and eat the whole thing if you want. Oh, we are? Yeah, this is all <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> oh my God. We have to take a picture of this way before we do anything. That is gorgeous. So this is a platter. We've got a cutting board here. Now, what do you call this, Angel? This is the feeding frenzy. So you're looking at, usually it'd be four meats, and it'd be eight ounces of each meat, and you're looking at your turkey right now, your pastrami, your ribs, and your brisket. And we threw in a little extra jalapeno and regular sausage on there to top it off for you. That looks gorgeous. Are you going to help us eat it? Uh, I've got a couple more things to do, but I'll join you for the last couple bites there. Save me, save me a little. Okay. Angel's going to create a... Uh, plate up some side dishes for us too and then we'll go sit down and he'll bring everything to us that sounds fantastic so you cook the the turkey in a different smoker at high heat what's the biggest piece of advice you would give a home cook so that it comes out juicy and perfect like yours does uh, the, the trick is don't overcook stuff meat is not going to be dry unless you overcook it so get a good instant read thermometer and learn what is the proper temp and don't be afraid, you know, trust that thermometer, take it out, let it have a little rest, and then eat it. it. The mistake I think people make is they're looking at their piece of turkey, they think it's done, they're not really sure, so they're afraid that it's raw on the inside, so what do they do? They cook it some more, and then it ends up being overcooked. You, you want to always rest meat, especially big cuts of meat like this. Well, what do you want the turkey to get to, 160 or 180? Uh, white meat turkey, 160, and for me, if 155. Because, and then with that rest, it's going to get up to 160. 180 for dark meat, but for white meat, 160. No more. Okay, so when you have a whole turkey, you've got white, you've got dark, what do you do? I have a whole spiel for that. So what, what I do is I take my turkey out, make sure it's fully defrosted. Take it out a, an hour before you're going to cook it. And set it on the counter and take a big one-gallon zip bag full of ice and put that on the breast. So now you're going to get the breast really cold while the dark meat is starting to warm up. And that helps. It helps a lot, yeah. It's really, uh, I mean, it, it's hard to get it perfect. You know, like anything, it's hard to get those two things done. But it's going to give you a, he a head start. By cooling the white meat down, let the dark meat warm up a little bit. Because that's always the problem. The white meat's done and the dark meat's not. So then you'd put the temperature, you'd put the thermometer in the, into the thigh or into the dark meat and it has to get to 180. I'll go 175 because I'll let my turkey sit on the counter for 45 minutes. Okay. And it comes out great. It's a good thing. Good tip. Yeah, yeah. Right. the rest is something I think people don't embrace. Yeah. And it's really good and it's important. So I got to mention, um, you are sweating. <laughs> and everybody I see walk by me is in the same condition. So this is a hot job. Yeah, but there's a lot worse kitchens. Ours is because we're out here; it's an open kitchen, so at least we get some of the air conditioning from the from the room. But it's uh, but the smoker's hot. There's a lot of heat coming off a lot. That's yeah, the nature of being a chef. Yeah, yeah. There's you know, you can't take the heat. Get out of the kitchen. Hey, you coined a phrase. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where I heard that one. <laughs> Thank you.
you want to eat a little bit. I'm dying to try that brisket. I have been waiting for that brisket since I saw Angel cut it. But i got to ask you something. Uh, you mentioned that you, for 10 years, lived in the cradle of civilization. <laughs> Polk County, Florida. You lived in North Lakeland for 10 years. I did. I, I, I grew up in Chicago. I was born in Chicago, grew up in the near suburbs, migrated a little further away out into the suburbs. and uh, I had a family trucking business, and it just ran its course. It was local cartage, and it was just time to move on and do something different. And I, I decided I was going to move to Lakeland, and I had come down there for the barbecue cook-off. I decided I was going to move there and sell barbecue in the parking lot somewhere. So I drove down, and I didn't know really where to go. And I ended up on the north side driving around, and I found some duplex housing that looked pretty nice. So I checked in, I, <clears throat> I rented one, and I'd, I'd never left for 10 years. And I didn't really understand the north-south Lakeland thing quite that much at the time. But i got to be honest, I liked the north side of Lakeland. I thought it was fun up there. The north side of Lakeland has always been a lot more rural country, country ranches yeah. up there. And, you know, it seems like barbecue would fit right in, actually. I know there's some barbecue places up there. I mean, you mentioned coming down to Lakeland for the barbecue. Um, are you talking the one, the Junior Pig League? Fest. For Pig Fest. Yes. I came. I didn't come to the first year. I think I was there the second or third year. When we, at the time, we would have it behind, uh, uh, like behind right field at where the Tigers are uh, before this previous, previous remodeling of Tiger Stadium there. And it was out in the grass. And so I, I truly moved there because of Pig Fest. And, and those people all became my good friends. And, and, I, and they helped me along the way, a lot of them in my career. I, you know, I had a lot, of, a lot of good friends in Lakeland, a lot of fun. So you had a food truck. Yeah, it was a trailer, but I operated it, you know, in the fashion of a food truck. And uh, it, it was one of the things I learned quickly was people would never come on Sunday. I mean, it didn't matter what I did on Sunday. People wouldn't come in that community anyway. Um, if it was raining, they wouldn't come. If it was cold, they wouldn't come. If it was hot, they wouldn't come. If it was Thanksgiving week, they wouldn't come. I mean, there were just all these gaps in your schedule, and so you couldn't really make a very good living at it because you couldn't really sell anything every day. Um, okay, well... Let me go get some barbecue sauce. We're, we're, oh, we're barbecue sauce. Whole barbecue sauces. Let me go get those. Oh, okay. Yeah, forgot about barbecue sauce. There's so much flavor without it. Okay, in between bites. That rib is so good. That might be the best thing we serve. Our I ribs are so good. That might be the best rib I ever had. I, I thank and you. And I don't eat that much pork, but I love it. Thank you. But I, I don't know how you can make a much better rib. I, I really, I mean, you know, people, like, if you like them with a bunch of sauce on them, if you like a baby back rib, baby back rib is just going to be a little leaner. I think of it more as like the white meat versus the dark meat. So if you like that, but if you're open-minded, I don't know how you're going to find a rib that's better than what we're cooking here. And you can put sauce on it if you want to, but it sure doesn't need any. I, for me, barbecue sauce is a condiment, so it's for dipping, and that's how I eat it. And frankly, I see people eating it like that here all the time. I thought we'd see a lot of people, because a lot of my friends have barbecue restaurants, and guests come in and they just pour barbecue sauce all over before they even start eating. And I thought we'd see that here all the time. Not only is it it's frustrating, because I really think you shouldn't do that, but it's also uh, it's annoying, because you just poured half a bottle of sauce on something that was really good before you did that. But we don't, boy, I don't know that I've seen that twice in the nine months. Uh, 
people really are respectful to it. And so one of the things I said about everybody being a barbecue expert, well, it's somewhat true. Some of them are, are more qualified than others, but, but they're very into it. So they do, they are willing to try it the way we've served it. You know, they're not automatically going right for the barbecue sauce. So they are educated, but again, we're doing things the right way, so we'll, we'll live with that. You try to put a little bit of a different spin. Like you said, you're not traditional Memphis barbecue, not traditional Carolina. It's Florida. Florida's a mishmash. You know, Florida, we're free and easy. We can do what we want. How do you- What's your philosophy on the barbecue? Well, yeah, we've get, we get tagged with that a lot, that this is Florida and we can do it how we want. And that's true, I guess. Although, really, when you get a little bit away from the coast, like Lakeland, there's a long tradition of barbecue. This is not something that they just found. Uh, they've been cooking barbecue in, in the middle of Florida forever. And it's very much like Georgia, I think. It's, it's a lot of hogs and a lot of south, kind of South Georgia barbecue. Um, but when you get on the coast, it gets a little different. But... As pompous as this sounds for me to say, this I I supersede all that nonsense. I've been doing this for 35 years. I've gone everywhere and eaten everything. I can make a menu myself, and no, I don't owe homage to anybody because I've seen it all and done it all. So, so it, it's really I don't want to say it's my style. It's this combination of of genuine styles. Um, it's not just I heard what they do in Kansas City. Trust me, I, mean, I live it. And and so I think I'm able to pick from all these different things. Ray Lambie, this has been so much fun and I appreciate your time and your food and your barbecue. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure has been mine, Robin. Thanks for coming out. That was Ray Lampy, better known as Dr. Barbecue, speaking to me at his St. Petersburg restaurant. How can you make Rice Krispies treats better? Well, try using brown butter to add a nutty note to the classic children's confection. That's just one of the upgrades from Food 52 Genius Desserts, 100 recipes that will change the way you bake. Food 52 is an online community of cooks and Genius Desserts compiles recipes from a host of experts like Martha Stewart and Nigella Lawson. The Zest contributor Janet Keeler joined me in the studio to discuss her favorite recipes from the cookbook and she didn't come empty-handed. Janet, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Always great to be here talking about cookbooks. So what did you bring me today? Well, I brought my copy of Genius Desserts. Um, So Genius Desserts is a product of Food52, which is the very popular uh, community food website, partially started by a couple of women. One was Amanda Hesser of the New York Times, the the food writer there. So this cookbook is a compilation of 100 recipes um, put together by Kristen Miglore, and she's their creative director Mm -hmm. at Food52. And I really like it for various reasons. One, because it's beautiful. It has the most beautiful photos in it. And uh, it's part of that trend where the paper uh, is very matte. So it's really kind of rustic looking. So I sort of like that. I have this bad habit when I open a cookbook. I always kind of feel the pages, especially the food. I don't Mm -hmm. know what I'm expecting to see. but It has a good page feel. It has a good page feel, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of help on the uh, on the recipes, ton of ideas, how to how to know if it's right. And these recipes have come from uh, come from the website and come from many different places, which I really like it. You know, Food 52 is a very much a community site. 
People contribute recipes. They run recipes from other blogs and other cookbooks. So it, the book also has that community feel. But There's they a, test it out, I would imagine. Oh, lots of so testing. So you have confidence in these recipes. Very much so. Th- they have an interesting uh, whole orange cake, which I think is a really great Florida uh, uh, recipe. What does that mean, whole orange cake? Well, that's the interesting part. So a lot of these, uh, this, and this comes from Sunset Magazine, which is a magazine in California. Um, this uh, f- orange cake often it re- it requires boiling the oranges and getting the juice out or doing something different with it so you're extracting the juice. This, the, the oranges are thrown in whole into the food processor. So skin and everything. Wait, so how cool is that? So does it say use seedless like California navel oranges or do they care? Nope, it doesn't say. What is two it? two oranges unpeeled, but ends trimmed, then cut into chunks and seeded. They want you to take the seeds. Oh, out. seeded. Okay, yeah, so they yeah, want let's you to take, take the out seed. the seeds, but they they don't care about the. They don't say peel it. No, unpeeled, and they throw it all into the food processor. Because wow. you know, think about that. See, the weird thing about the recipe is that we know that there's tons of of essence in the in the peel. But the pith, the white part, is often bitter, so we take that out. But in this recipe, because there's so much, there's a lot of sugar in it. It doesn't just really. Go ahead and leave it. It in. doesn't really matter. That's a really great Florida uh, Florida recipe. They do it in a real pretty uh, a patterned bunt pan, you know. So it, it it's it's really pretty with a glaze. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice recipe to take with you. I've also made the the rice krispie treats. Really, who doesn't <laughs> love those? Okay, so it's just essentially marshmallows, butter. Rice Krispie treats, you know, right. you shove it into a pan, and there you go. Okay, so this is salted brown butter. So a little upscale on the yes. uh, Rice Krispie treats. Right. Mm-hmm. So you just take that butter, you know, and you melt it in the pan like you would for Rice Krispie treats, but you wait till the milk solid sort of brown. Okay. And they get that gets a little nutty, mm-hmm. and then you use that. How tricky and is And you that? use Rice Krispies? I mean, everything else? Everything else is, oh, of course, sea salt. So and that's, sea salt. That's fancy, too. <laughs> So you've made that. Yeah, I've made that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. If I take them to a party, I always make sure I put salted brown butter crispy treats. <laughs> right. That's what they're calling. These aren't just your kids' rice crispy exactly. treats. They're very yeah. elevated, and so we want to do that. I would say you could find anything in here for all levels of cooking. I mean, those rice crispy treats, really, that's, that's pretty simple. You do know, have to know not to burn the butter. So what did you bring? I brought coconut custard macaroons. Oh, my gosh. So this is like a, you know, it's a coconut cookie. This is what I think of as the traditional uh, dessert for Passover (laughs) that you get in the can. Sure. The macaroons is what you can have because they don't have flour in them. So they're gluten-free. Right, right. And um, these have, these are custard macaroons. Why are they called custard macaroons? Well, this comes from a a blog called Rustic Joyful Food. Okay. And which is, again, their whole theme of the Food 52 is community cooking. So they get things from all over the place. Crowdsourcing. Definitely. Yeah. Um, So what makes these custardy is she has... Most most macaroons have um, egg whites and, of course, sweetened condensed milk. Got to have something to hold it together because there's no flour. Some even have a little bit of flour in them, which, I, you know, they need the binder. But this has a whole egg, plus it has butter in it. Mm. They don't usually have butter. So it has a little bit more of a fluffy texture to it. So do you make a custard first or you just put it all, throw it all together? Well, and you just throw it all cooks together. Cooks into a custard as it's baking. Well, that's their clever way. I'm not sure how custardy it is. But mm-hmm. it is a little bit more, uh, I would say a little moister and just it, 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 it does, it is, feels a little fluffier. 
to me. So what what's in it? Coconut, unsweetened, so sweetened? This calls for sweetened. Sometimes this is unsweetened, but this mm-hmm. is sweetened. Some sweetened condensed milk, unsalted butter, an egg, some vanilla, and, of course, fleur de sel or other flaky sea salt. You know, so that's... So it's a little different than yeah, you usually get. I, I threw in a little kosher salt. Okay. Sometimes, you know, you got to look for that stuff and you get it and it's in its, um, Pass that over here. you know, $5. I'm like, oh. So let's describe what this looks like. This is so beautiful. The coconut, you browned the coconut. It's got like a, a golden browned coconut coating. It looks kind of crispy on the outside and then a creamy center. Yeah. So These are gorgeous. So here's the, here's the deal with these things. You know, again, you have to kind of know your oven. You know, you you were, yeah, they're kind of they're brown. You know, somebody might say they almost they smell look, so good. Yeah, they they they, they get burnt really fast mm-hmm. on the bottom and everything. The ones, of course, in the picture here in the book are you know just perfect. But mm-hmm. these don't look brown, but they are. You've got some little dark brown pieces yeah. of coconut. But those are the little pieces that they crisp up. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And there and also it it says that you get, you get five dozen. I didn't get five dozen. I got maybe four. It's delicious, and I'm trying to isolate what's different about it well sometimes when you buy them but of course when you buy them they're going to have a lot of you know stabilizers and things like that in them um i feel like they they sometimes, are a little bit more caramelized yes right? that's they, what it is yeah that's a good point that's mm-hmm. that's a good distinction i th- sometimes think when you buy them they're a little more cakey this is not cakey mm-hmm. at all these are very coconutty yeah yeah there's a and lot of coconut with a, with in them. A, and with a caramelized outside mm-hmm. um it's delicious. The other thing, Are you having one? Well, I've had a bunch, but yes, I will. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing, the other thing too, you have to um, be aware of when you go to make them, mm-hmm. because there's not much to them. I mean, it, it's kind of a, it's a wet, it's a very wet dough, if you even want to call it a dough. But the cookie stuff is very wet. So when you put it on the on the baking sheet, I always use parchment paper. When you put it on there. It can kind of look like, oh, gosh, this isn't going to go well. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of carefully kind of pushing it to make sure it was a little mound. Uh-huh. So it was a real wet dough? Very wet. I, seriously, if you made it for the first time, you might think, oh, gosh, it's well, not going to work. But it did. It did I mean, work. they're perfect. They're great. Should, and I'm trying to think. I should have known Last that. time I made macaroons, I'm trying to think what held it together. And I'm thinking I did make it. I might have whipped the egg whites. Yes, some recipes call for that, whipped egg whites. Yes, and then, of course, that holds the shape a little better you yes. know because it's kind of a, a meringue yes um texture here the butter gives it a little bit richer flavor too yes the butter that's the difference yeah i've never put butter in a macaroon but it I, tastes i don't i in fact i looked at an i looked at like three or four other recipes i was mm-hmm. curious i thought well what is so different mm-hmm. about them because i'm not made the them a ton yeah but That's yeah, it. and so that, you know, there's just more butter. So I think that just makes them a little bit richer. And I think that that lends to them calling it a coconut custard macaroon. Janet Keeler, thank you so much. Thank you so much for bringing these macaroons in. I am going to really enjoy the rest Good. of these. Are you sharing today? Mm. <laughs> you always make me feel kind of guilty. You just have to see if people are good today. <laughs> right. right? You keep them, keep How them at nice your desk. are my office mates going to be today? Right. Janet, thanks. Thank you. That was our contributor, Janet Keeler, speaking with me about the cookbook, Food 52 Genius Desserts, 100 Recipes That Will Change the Way You Bake. You can find a link to the recipe for those coconut custard macaroons on our website, thezestpodcast.com.
Thanks so much for listening. August has been a great month. You can hear episodes about how to catch a Florida lobster, why you should give Florida wines a try, and why mangoes are so important in Florida. You can also find recipes from our stories at thezestpodcast.com. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter. I'm Robin Sussingham. Dalia Cologne and I produce The Zest with help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media. Mm-hmm.